All right. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to actually cover 1 through uh, um, kind of all the way into 2. Then we're going to take a look in Isaiah. Now we'll have all those. If you want to flip back and forth, we invite you to do that. We're also going to have all these verses for you on the screen. Before we get started, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to put the question on the screen for you. And here is the question. The question is, where is your hope? Where is is your hope. Now, there are two ways that we can understand that question, okay? Uh, the first, uh, one of the ways, uh, the first way that we could understand it is uh, as the existence of your hope. Where is the existence of your hope? That there is something or someone that you have placed uh, your, that you have given up on, that there is something or someone that you've given up on, and someone has asked you the question, where is your hope? There will be times in life when we will feel as though we have waited long enough. The length of our wait will put strain on the strength of our hope. And like a fatigued muscle, if you've ever like worked a muscle to the point that it just won't sustain the weight of whatever it is you're lifting in that moment, just like a fatigued muscle that can no longer endure the weight, our circumstances often cause our hope to fail. If you found yourself on the verge of giving up on hope this morning, or if there is something in your life that has caused you to give up hope and you've given up on, I want to encourage you this morning to hang on a little longer. And that leads me to the second way that we can read that same question. We're putting that up there again. Where, where's your hope? And what I mean by that, the second way for us to understand it is to ask ourselves, where is our hope placed? Right? Like, so number one, where is your hope? Like, your hope is gone. Or, where is your hope? Like, what do you put your hope in? We place our, our hopes in all kinds of crazy things, do we not? I mean, we put our hope in some silly things at times. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we place our hope in our favorite sports team. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but they, our favorite sports team let us down a whole lot more than they actually come through for us. I should have gotten a really good amen right there. I mean, we, we hope that, you know, every season, we start the season, we go, oh man, I hope this is going to be the year. I mean, we got the team, we got the staff, we got the whatever, and we put our hope in all this stuff, and then what do they do? They fail us over and over and over again. But then there's that one year, for all of us Braves fans in the house, there's that one year that they actually come through, man, and it's so exciting. Yeah, we do. We put our, our hopes in a lot of different things in this world without even sometimes realizing it. We place our hopes in our children, hopes that they will, maybe they'll do or accomplish, you know, more than we did. You know, when you, as your kids are growing up, you look at them and you go, oh man, I hope he's, I hope he's better academically than I was, which for me, it wasn't real hard. I mean, if my kids just kept their eyes open, they'd probably be better. And then, or, or, or you look at them and you go, man, I hope they're a better athlete than I ever was. Or I, you look at them and you hope, I just hope they're a better person than, I, than I've been able to be. And I hope they treat people better than I've been able to treat people. And so you, you have all these hopes and you put your hopes in your children. And we see, unfortunately, we see uh, too many parents. Uh, I've had too many conversations with parents who walk in my office or give me a call and feel like a failure as a parent because their kids didn't become all the things that they hoped they would. And it's like, look, parents, our job is simply to put tools in their toolbox. They have to make the decision one day whether or not they're going to use them. 
How your kids turn out when they're 25 is not your fault. So for any parent that's here that needed to hear that this morning, you've lost hope in, in the fact that your kids haven't become everything that you hoped they would be. It's not your fault. They have to make decisions with all of the things that we teach them. Sometimes we place our hopes in friends, and then we feel extremely disappointed when they let us down. I mean, we heap these expectations of, hey, I, you know, I need my friends to be this for me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes feeling the weight of, of all of those expectations that friends and family can put on us, those things get heavy to carry. And so we do, but, we put, we're, but we're guilty of it as well. We put our, our hopes in people when our friends we place our hopes sometimes in, in our jobs that through our jobs, maybe we can find our value. Maybe we can find our purpose and meaning in life. And even if it's not directly through the job itself, our hopes can be placed on the things that our jobs will get us. We, we educate ourselves and we work hard to uh, put ourselves into better places financially that maybe we can find you know we can work our way up through the corporation and we want our 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 bottom line to look like this so that you know through all of the monetary gain that we get through our jobs that we can find purpose and value maybe even in the stuff that we're able to afford our houses our cars the neighborhood we live in all of these things that become status symbols for us we put our hope sometimes in our our jobs we place our hope in Technology. How many of you have ever placed your hope in technology before? How many of you have an Apple Watch? Raise your hand if you have an Apple Watch. How many of you use your Apple Watch to find your phone? Okay, you put your hope in technology, right? I mean, like, if we didn't think about this, if we didn't have the find my iPhone thing, how many of us would be hopeless without a phone, right? Yes. I mean, that's many of us. I remember years ago, uh, Grant had came to the age where we said, okay, it's time for you to have a phone, not because we felt like he needed a phone for him as much as we needed a phone for him. We needed to be able to contact him. Hey, are you done with practice? Because I don't want to go sit in the parking lot for 45 minutes and wait on you to get done. So we got him a phone. And I remember one day he comes to us and he says, hey, I can't find my phone. So it's like, that's easy. I'll just go to find my iPhone. We'll find your iPhone. Sure enough, we located it. It was about halfway down the road from our house going towards Wiregrass. And we found it on the side of the road in shambles. He had stuck it on the back of, I think, my car playing basketball. And then when I took off in my car, it flew off my car and into the ditch. And so we had to find a new phone. But however, we put hope in technology. How many of you use your GPS on your phone when you drive? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been led to the wrong place by your GPS on your phone? Yeah, I mean, it happens, right? You're like, what is wrong with these people? We put our hope in technology. We really, really do. Uh, or, uh, unfortunately, we do this about every four years, I think. We put our hope in a politician, right? Do we not? I mean, we show up to polls, and we know better that we don't put our hope in politicians, but we show up to the polls and we vote in a particular way for a particular candidate of our choice, and we do it with the hopes that whatever is wrong with the world that we live in, that these people will come in and fix it, and it never happens. Matter of fact, there was a politician several years ago who ran on the campaign slogan, hope, right? Remember Barack Obama, that was his campaign slogan. He ran on the word hope. We place our hope in doctors and we hope that they can heal us, cure us, or fix us. We, we go to them when there's something that's wrong with us and we sit down in their office and so we say, hey, here's all the things that's wrong and they, they kind of do their diagnosis and then we put all of our hope in their expertise 
and their, their knowledge, and we hope that they will prescribe us a medication, or hope that they will give us a treatment, or hope that they will perform a surgery that will get us back to where we wanted to be from a health perspective. So there are, those are two interpretations of that question, and they're ultimately tied together. Here's how. We lose hope when our hope is placed in something or someone that does not have the, the stability or ability to sustain it. So we lose hope. We lose out on, I don't have hope anymore. Why? Because we place our hope in something or in someone that, didn't, that never had the capacity to hold everything or all of our hopes that we place into that person or thing. Which leads me to the Christmas story as we have studied See, um, Joseph and Herod both, as, and we're going to read all the context in a minute, so I want to kind of throw these out there for you to begin to think about that when we read through them, you can read this into the text. Joseph and Herod uh, both had hope in another person. Um, have you ever, you ever placed your hope in another person just to be let down? I mean, think about it. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I so desperately wanted a motorcycle. I don't even know what led to it. I just, maybe I saw a buddy of mine on a motorcycle, but I wanted a motorcycle in the worst way. And I remember, um, man, I, I just started begging my mother, like, Mom, would you, would you let me have a motorcycle? Would you get me a motorcycle for Christmas? That would be like the best Christmas present ever. I mean, I would just have so much fun on it. And, you know, I tried to make all these, like, reasons for why we, you know, if I had a motorcycle, you know, I could, I could ride up to the store when you needed something from the store and, I could, I mean, I'm like in fifth grade, like who's going to ride a motorcycle store in fifth grade? However, uh, you know, that was, I was trying to bargain my way into it. And I remember, um, I, I must have bugged her so much that right around October, November, my mom asked my uncle if um, my mom never had a driver's license. That's kind of a side, like never, I, like I don't know, my mom, how did you, can you imagine not having a driver's license ever? Ever, 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 having to depend on other people to get you. Anyway, that's another story for another day. I remember I must have bugged her so much because she asked my uncle. She said, hey, would you, um, would you take us up to the motorcycle shop so that we could look at these motorcycles that he's been driving me crazy over? So my uncle did. He took us up to the motorcycle shop. We went in. We went to that little section where they have all the little bikes for the little guys. And, and we went over, and he's like, oh, I think this one would be just right for you. And he let me sit on it. So I got on it, you know, kind of stood there. I was like, man, this feels good, right? And then he said, hey, well, why don't we crank it up? I said, well, why don't we? So we, we, he, we crunked that thing up. It sounded great. I mean, it was like, and so now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm having these visions in my head of all the places that I'm going to ride this motorcycle. And when we, we, you know, we turned it off, got, he had the conversation with my mom. This is how much it's going to cost. This is what it would look like. And then we left. We left the store. And I remember I got home, and I'm telling you, for the next several weeks, I, I lost sleep at night because I would lay in bed. I don't know if y'all ever did this when you were kids, but you have this imagination of what you might be getting for Christmas and you lay in bed all night long thinking about what it's going to be like to play with that thing or ride that bike or whatever it is. And I just laid there and thought about all the places that I was going to ride that bike and how much fun I was going to have. I remember that Christmas morning I woke up and so in, in my head, you know, I even imagine that I'm going to wake up on Christmas morning and I'm going to, that bike's going to be outside and, and my mom's going to say, hey, we got one last present for you. And then she was going to go, hey, let's go outside. And we were going to go outside and there was going to be that motorcycle with a big bow on it. And I was super excited. So I got up that, that Christmas morning, started opening presents. And when I opened the last present, I said the most unbelievably unappreciative thing you could possibly say on Christmas morning. Is that all? 
which my mom was like, yeah, what do you mean? That's, yeah, that's all. That's it. And I was disappointed. She was probably very disappointed in me. I was disappointed in me now thinking back on it. But there was, I had placed all this hope in my mother to provide for me a motorcycle. And she didn't. And I was so disappointed. And there were disappointed people in the Christmas story too. Joseph, could you imagine Joseph betrothed to Mary? This is the woman that I'm putting all my hopes in. She is going to be the satisfier of my soul. We are going to spend our lives together. She is the beautiful woman who caught my eye. Our parents have arranged the marriage, and boy, am I glad that they arranged it for us because I don't know if I could have pulled her on my own. My, my dad and you know her mom, my dad and mom got with her dad and mom, and they figured this thing out. And So he's got all these hopes in Mary that he's going to marry this woman and that they are going to spend the rest of their lives together only to find out that Mary would show up and go, Joseph, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. What? Like, how's that? Mary, we, we, we haven't been, we're not married yet. We haven't been with each other in that way. How, what, what do you mean you're pregnant? How, what, you've been messing around with me? No, 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 no. It's of the Holy Spirit. Like God, God conceived in me a child. So now Joseph feels lied to, right? I mean, all of his hope in this woman and like, are you, do you think I'm stupid? Like, do I have it written on my forehead? I mean, what? No, Mary, that's not possible. That, that doesn't happen. That's never happened before. And so now all of a sudden, this person that Joseph had placed all of his hope in had let him down and disappointed him. Then there's Herod. Herod is the king at the time. And Herod is, uh, Herod, um, when the wise men show up, we're going to see that again in a second. When they show up, they, he's like, hey, um, what are you guys doing here? Well, we, we've come to worship. We know that the star is pointing us to where the, the Savior, the king of the Jews would be born. And so Herod is like, well, when you find him, you let me know. You come back and let me know where he's at so we can go worship him too. Now, all, all, we all know that Herod wanted to go kill Jesus because he was a threat to Herod's throne. But the wise men never show back up. And so now Herod is disappointed in these people who said they would come back and tell him where the Messiah was born. Then there is our hope in our plans. You ever made plans and they failed on you? There are several people, we all, we've all done it. I mean, we all make plans and then our plans fail. We make plans and then our plans fail. I mean, it happens just repeatedly. It happens over and over. Um, I, I remember one vacation that I was on. We, we had all these plans for these places that we were going to eat. And I planned them, really. I mean, I was like, hey, I have went on to Yelp. I have went on to all these different sites. I have found the good places to eat. We're going to go there. And every one of them were disappointing, so much so that I apologized to my family for leading them astray. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it was just, it was a bad experience after bad experience. There are all kinds of people in history that as we look back through history that their plans failed. Ariana Huffington got rejected by 36 publishers. Bill Gates, he watched his very first company crumble out from underneath him. George Steinbrenner, if you don't know who George Steinbrenner is, he owned the Yankees, was a very wealthy man. Uh, George Steinbrenner, uh, he bankrupted a team. Walt Disney, the Walt Disney. I mean, like, could, could you imagine some, Walt Disney was told that he lacked creativity. If Walt Disney lacks creativity, I don't know who has it. Steve Jobs. 
founder, creator of Apple, was booted from his own company. I mean, I don't know if you know the story or not, but Steve Jobs, I mean, Apple just took off. I mean, it just was this huge deal when he started it from his own garage, and it rose to success, and then they, they started, uh, they got their board of trustees on, and the board of trustees eventually came out and voted Bill Gates, or not Bill Gates, but Steve Jobs, out of his own company. Could you imagine creating your own company and then being told by your board of directors, oh, by the way, hey, you're out. You still have stock, and you'll still earn all your profits but you will, uh, you'll have nothing to do with your own company anymore. Milton Hershey, uh, creator of Hershey Candy, started three candy companies before he actually landed on Hershey, which we still enjoy a few Hershey things today, don't we? If you don't enjoy Hershey things today, let me get you some and you'll begin to find an appreciation for the things that Hershey created. We've all had plans and we've all made plans and they've all failed and Herod's plan was... He said, hey, I, you know what, like I'm so threatened by this whole idea that someone would come and take my throne and dethrone me and that I would no longer be in charge, that here's what I will do. You say that there's this baby that's been born king of Jews. What I will do is I've come up with a plan. I'm going to go to Bethlehem and I'm going to find every male child two years and under and I'm going to execute every one of them in order to make sure that my plan stays intact. That's Herod's plan. Herod the Great, if you didn't pick up on that little snippet of him, he was a brutal man who killed his own father-in-law. He killed several of his ten wives and two of his sons. Herod ignored the laws of God in order to suit himself, in order to build himself up, and he chose the favor of Rome over even his own people. Herod, uh, Herod's heavy Taxes to pay for these lavish projects forced an unfair burden on the citizens that were underneath him, the Jewish historian. Uh, by the way, this is another, you know, I like to throw these out every now and then if you're looking for a baby name. Uh, this is a fantastic name, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. It's fantastic. No one will ever have that name. You'll have the only one. Uh, reported that Herod the Great, listen to this, he died a painful and debilitating disease that caused him breathing problems, convulsions, rotting of his body, and worms. Worms literally ate Herod. Can you imagine? Regardless of how much Herod tried to control his outcomes, no matter how much Herod had planned out, like this is my plan, this is how I'm going to keep the throne, this is how I'm going to stay in power, no matter how much he planned, his, his plans failed miserably. They came to ruin, and the Christmas story is full of Failed plans too. See, there was a person named Jesus, and there was a plan, God's plan, found within the Christmas story that informs us as to where our hope is to really be found. It's not to be found in our own plans, it's not to be found in people around us, but it's to be found in another person, in another plan. So if you would, let's read quickly through. Uh, Matthew, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 18, and we're going to read all the way uh, through 2.12. And again, we've been reading these over the last several weeks, but I wanted to pull all these together in one chunk for us to see all this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so here's Joseph, here's the doubt of his plans, here's where he found hopelessness or he arrived to a hopeless place for a moment. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he's like, I'm not going to do this very publicly, I'm going to try to protect Mary as much as I can. 
And I'll divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And, we, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw Mary, the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what Matthew writes here is significant. And it's significant for us in, I want us to, to, to think back, where do we put our hope? Where, where is your hope? Do, has it, is it gone? And have you placed it in the wrong places, in the wrong people, in the wrong plans? What Matthew wrote here was huge because it's, he's telling all of these first century people who feel hopeless and they feel lost. He's telling these people that what had taken place was to fulfill what had been written hundreds of years prior to this actual event taking place. The amazing thing about this prophecy it was, is that it was made around 735 BC. Can you imagine? I don't know how long you've waited for something, but I don't think that any of us have waited 735 years for something. And it made zero sense in the moment that it was told. It made zero sense in the moment that the prophecy was given to the people. And it had absolutely no impact on the person it was made to. So I want to give you the context really quick, and then we're going to read through Isaiah. We're going to just read a few passages of where, and that will give us the context to this prophecy that, that is recorded in Matthew. The Old Testament is the story of Israel, and Israel for a long time, it didn't, Israel had no kings. And so as God brings Israel out of Egypt, and then finally after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they end up in the promised land being led there by Joshua. When they arrive in the promised land, they didn't have a king. But all the other nations around them had kings, so they begin to ask God. You'll see this in 1 Samuel, if you read through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Would you? And so God tells Samuel, tell them they can have a king, and here's who the king is going to be. And so the first king of Israel was a man named Saul. Saul would eventually uh, disobey God, dishonor God by how he led the nation. And then uh, they, there would be another young man anointed 
Um, his name is David. So the second king of Israel was David, and then David would have a child. His name was Solomon. And then after, um, after Solomon, or actually during the time of Solomon, there was a big incident, and the kingdom split. Both kingdoms had their own kings. The northern kingdom, uh, most of their kings were bad. And the southern kingdom would sort of rotate back and forth between a good king and a bad king. The southern kingdom was Judah. The northern kingdom was Israel. And so this takes place around 735 B.C. The king of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, goes to the king of Syria and he says, hey, let's, let's join forces. So let's join forces. So the king of Israel and the king of Syria, let's join forces and let's go attack the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a huge military power. And they were a huge nation of people. And so um, they felt threatened because the Assyrians were really close to their borders. And so the king of Israel says, we can't take them. But maybe if we get with the, the Syrians, not the Assyrians, but the Syrians, if we get with the nation of Syria, get with their king, let's join forces, and then let's go get them. Let's go attack them together. Well, then when they start having conversations, the king of Syria and the king of Israel both go, I don't think together we can take them. Let's go down to Judah, the southern kingdom, and let's talk to their king and see if we can get their king to, to join us. And then there will be three of us. Maybe then we'll have a little bit better chance. So the king of the southern kingdom at the time was a king named Ahaz, and so as they began to talk, Ahaz now has a dilemma on his hands. See, Ahaz understands that even the three of us together cannot defeat the Assyrians. Assyria was so vast that um, it, it just kind of overblew the, the entire map. If I could show you a map of that time, it was a conglomeration of many states that had been brought together under one umbrella. All of the states were now its vassal state, meaning they paid taxes to the Assyrians um, in order to have the protection of the Assyrian Empire. So Syria and Israel go to Ahaz to, and ask to join him. And Ahaz, he knew that it was a no-win situation. So Ahaz had another problem. See, Ahaz was not a very good king. Ahaz had been a very wicked king. He had adopted the worship of other gods. He had, uh, he had basically turned his back on the God. And because of that, he had, because of his abandonment of God, he, was abandoned, he had abandoned temple worship as well. And uh, he had erected idols throughout the entire land. He sacrificed his own son on an altar of fire to a pagan god. He was so bad that when he died that he wasn't even buried with the other kings of Israel. How would you like to have that reputation? So it was not like Ahaz could go into the temple, throw himself down before the throne of God and, and, and begin to offer up his prayer of uh, his intercessory prayer to God. Say, God, could you come and intervene? Could you step in? Could you do the impossible? Because there is no way. I've got, I've got two kings coming to me wanting me to join them and I know we can't win that one. And if I say no to them, knowing that we can't win that battle, then they're going to come and attack me and we can't win the battle against those two. It's a no-win situation. There is no hope. The people that he had placed himself, or the hope that he had placed his in, 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 or the people that he had placed his hope in, were not people that he was uh, able, like the gods and the the leaders. They weren't going to help him. The plan, if there was a plan that he could put his hope in, he knew that it was really a hopeless plan. There was no hope for them that they couldn't fend off anyone. And this is where Ahaz finds himself. In the past. You know, uh, God had done the miraculous in military moments when there were times when 
military people, would, other nations would come against Israel. God would step in and perform these miracles like the walls of Jericho falling down. It made no sense, but that's because God would perform the miracle on behalf of the people and hope would be restored. And their hope was always in God. Like we could trust God that no matter what, the, no matter what was going to take place, we knew that with God we could defeat anyone. Well, Ahaz did not have that luxury. So Ahaz sends word to Pekah, who is the, uh, he is the king of Syria, or the Assyrians. He says, if you want to, or to, to Syria. And he says, no thanks. Like, we're not going to do it. So, or, uh, actually, Pekah was the king of the Israel, northern kingdom. And he says, no thanks. He says, if you want to go on a suicide mission, be my guest. It's all up to you. Go, go on, but we will not be joining. And sure enough, Syria descended and began to attack the border cities of Judah. And then uh, the northern kingdom, the people of Israel, they descended on Jerusalem and King Ahaz. And they're attacking the walls of the city of Jerusalem. So the Israelite, so um, Israel descends on them and Judah's unable to. Uh, to go to God, Ahaz is not able to go to God and, and ask for, for God's intercession. Syria uh, was rerouted from the border cities, and so now news comes to Ahaz as he and his people are in the walls of Jerusalem that now not only is the northern kingdom surrounding us and they're beating down our walls, now the, the Syrians are marching towards us and they're coming too. We have no shot. Ahaz knew that he didn't have the defenses to repel such an attack. And the Bible says that the people, they were literally scared to death. And I would say that when you're in a scared to death situation, that there is, we would call that a hopeless situation. That there's no hope. This is where the prophet Isaiah enters and he has a message of hope for the people. And in particular, he has a message for King Ahaz. Read with me, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to read straight through. Uh, we're going to read straight through verses one through fourteen of the book of Isaiah. So that's all the context. Keep in mind all the context of what um, what they are surrounded by. In the in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, in other words, that Judah, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, the heart of his people, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. In other words, don't give up hope. Don't be in this state of hopelessness, Ahaz. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Ramalia, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. 
In other words, he's saying, listen, don't give up hope because I am going to act on your behalf. He says, but if you are not firm in faith, if you give up hope, if you put your hope in anything, any plan or any other people other than me, if you put it in anything else, obviously it will fail. But he says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all, which is a great statement for us today. Where is your hope? Because if you're not firm, in other words, if your faith is not firm or your hope is not firmly planted in the person of Jesus, then your, your hope will faint and you will not be firm at all. Listen to what he says in, in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. So God is speaking to the king of Judah who is surrounded at this moment by two nations, worried about what is gonna happen. And here's what, here's what uh, Isaiah says to Ahaz from the Lord. Again, he says, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. If, you, if God gave you that opportunity and said, ask me for any sign that you want, for whatever it is you feel hopeless about today, ask for any sign. Do you think you could come up with a pretty good sign? I know I could. And in this moment, Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David, is it? It is, too, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, you don't want to ask for a sign. You don't want to tell us what your sign is going to be. I am going to, since you don't ask for a sign, I'm going to go ahead and give you one anyway. And here's what God says the sign is going to be. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, let me ask you a question. Honestly. If you're one of the people, or if you're the king, if you're King Ahaz, and you're surrounded on all sides by enemy nations, and you're going, okay, we need a sign, we need, we need hope. If, if the prophet comes to you and says, hey, a virgin shall conceive, She's, there's going to be a baby born. Does that sound like the kind of sign you want? Like, aren't, aren't you going, no, 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 no. How about a better, like, now at this point, Ahaz is probably thinking, I should have given him, a, I should have asked for a sign. How about you just drop, like, how about, how about these big meteors fall to the earth and just destroy everything outside of the city walls? All those people, just knock them back. That would be a good sign. See, that's what I would have asked for. Or strike them down, just like, I mean, God, you could say a word. If you brought people to life by speaking a word, you could just speak a word and take life from them, and they'll just all fall dead right there. But he didn't. And so God gives him a sign. Here's your sign. You want a sign? Here's your sign. Your sign is that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then if you flip over to chapter 9, verse 6, in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, and, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Twenty years, so here's what would happen. The Assyrians attack Israel, and Israel has to pull back and defend its country. So they're pulled back. And within 12 years, Israel was, no, uh, was so decimated that they surrendered. The Assyrians exported so many people out and imported uh, so many people for, um, out from the area that by the time Jesus is born, this area is called Samaria. Inhabited by these people called Samaritans, which were considered half-breeds, which no Jews liked. 
20 years later, just as he prophesied, the armies of Assyria marched right to the gates of Jerusalem. Hezekiah ransomed the city by taking all the treasure out of the temple and uh, giving it to the Assyrians. 90 years later, the Babylonians attacked the Assyrian Empire, destroyed it and conquered it, which no one thought was possible. And then under the leadership of a king called Nebuchadnezzar, marched all the way to Jerusalem, destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and exported the best and the brightest back to Babylon. You'll remember the story of David Shadrach, Shadrach and, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But surely, they must have thought that the, Israel, uh, the Babylonians are going to reign forever. They're too strong. They're too powerful. They defeated the Assyrians, who no one could ever, ever defeat. But the next group to come along would be the Persians, and the Persians would conquer the Babylonians, and they would reign for 300 years, and it was an empire that would never be destroyed, sure. Like, there's no way that this, like, they defeated the people who defeated the people we thought couldn't be defeated, and so here we are now under the rule and the reign of the Persians. As a matter of fact, the Persians even called their king the king of kings. That empire lasted until a guy named Alexander the Great would come in, and he would conquer the known world. Alexander the Great would then uh, Hellenize the entire world and the Greek language become, would become the common language of all people everywhere. And it would certainly, the Greeks, I mean, at this point, you have to think if you're the people of Israel, the Greeks are going to reign forever and ever. And the Greeks would reign for quite a long time and that is until this nation rose up called the Romans and the, Ro- the Romans would take over everything and the Romans would make these elaborate roads and these Romans had this powerful military and surely the Romans would never be defeated, but here the people of Israel are on Christmas morning at the arrival of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And here's the prophecy being quoted by Matthew in Matthew chapter 1. And so here's where hope is to be placed. Hope is not to be placed in other people. Hope is not to be placed in, in our plans. 730 some odd years after the original prophecy was given, in Matthew chapter 1, I want to read it to you one more time. Remember, this is 730 years and several nations later, we read in 21 through 24, she will bear a son. This is the promise retold to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a song, um, there's a song written by Elevation Worship. It was, this is one of their older songs. It was written several years ago. And if you will uh, allow me just a second to pull the lyrics up, I just want to read these to you. Um, and it, it gives us an insight into where our hope needs to be placed if our hope is to stand. So here are the lyrics to a song called Your Promises. Here's what it says. When the weight of the world begins to fall, on the name of Jesus I will call. For I know my God is in control and his purpose is unshakable. And then the chorus says this, no matter, does it matter what I feel, does it matter what I see, my hope will always be your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be in your promises to me. People and plans may fail, but his plans never will. 
And so I would like for us to just say this real quick. My hope will always be his promises to me. Can we say that together? My hope will always be his promises to me. Let's say that again. My hope will always be his promises to me. Your ho- Listen, there are so many things in this world we can put our hope in, but they will fail us. And I don't care how sure of a bet you think they are. They will ultimately fail. There is one thing in this world that we can count on and we can trust in that will never, ever, ever fail us. And it is what the Christmas story is all about. We can always put our hope in the promises of God because they will never, ever, ever come to fail. They will never, ever, ever fail us. They will always come to pass. And my hope, your hope, our hope, should always be in his promises to us. They will never, ever fail you, which is why it is so important that when we read, or that we read the scriptures, and when we read them, that we make notes, highlight, circle, underline, where you see the promises of God. Because it was on that day, on that Christmas morning, on the very first Christmas, or previous to it, that an angel has to remind Joseph, Joseph, don't put your hope in Mary. Joseph, don't put your hope in your plans. You had your whole life planned out. You were going to marry her, and you had all these plans of how things were going to play out, and you were going to father the first child. And you, Joseph, don't put your hopes in Mary, and don't put your hopes in your plans. Put your hopes in the promises of God. He reminds them, this was a promise that was made, and this promise is being fulfilled, because God, if anything, if we can remember him for anything other than this, it's, this would be good enough. He is a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And so you, when you need comfort, when you need to find peace, when you feel hopeless, you go into the word of God and you find his promises. And then you live according to his promises. And listen, it was 735 years before Jesus was born after he was prophesied. But it did come to pass. And so when you feel hopeless and you find a promise from God that speaks into your life about what you're going through, be patient. Wait on the Lord. His timing and his plans are always perfect.